Our scripture reading this evening is Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And this is our text, number 14, verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which, indeed, you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. So we've been studying Christian character from Paul's instruction in his letter to the Colossians. Paul is describing what Christians ought to be like. He's telling the Colossians to put on these Christian virtues as one would put on a new set of clothes. So far we have considered compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We've considered bearing with one another and forgiving each other. When our salvation is completed in the new heavens and the new earth, we will have these characteristics in perfection. And part of the glory of living in God's renewed creation is that everyone will have these characteristics so that living together will be harmonious and we will be serving one another in love. There will be no more selfishness there. We will find our joy in loving God and being loved by God and in loving other people and being loved by other people. That describes the new humanity that God is in the process of creating. And that idea is a powerful motivation for us to live as close to that as we can now already in this life. And this belongs to the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. The call to live this way is never given as something that we have to do in order to get God to love us and to forgive our sins. This belongs to the good news. The call to live this way is addressed to people who have believed in Jesus and so are already loved and forgiven. A huge part of the blessing of salvation is that God is at work in us through his spirit, renewing us in his own image. And that work of God's spirit in our hearts and lives changes us so that living the way that God is calling us to live is attractive to us and we are willing to put in the effort to make progress in living that way. The beautiful thing about the effort that we put in to making changes in our lives in the power of the Spirit is that it is motivated by an inner desire to live how God is changing us to live. We've been given new hearts that love God, and so becoming more like Him is something that is attractive to us. 
Loving God and being attracted to the life he calls us to live goes together. And so what we are doing as we seek to put on these virtues in our lives is that we are pushing toward a fuller experience of our salvation. Seeking to put these virtues on in our lives is an experience of loving, is an expression of loving God. So this evening we come to the most important virtue of them all, which is love. Verse 14, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So love is above all these other virtues. And what that means is explained in the second part of the verse. Love is about is above all the other virtues because it binds them all together in perfect harmony. So if you imagine the other virtues as a bundle of sticks, love is the string that holds them, that binds them all together. And what this means is that all the virtues belong together and that love binds them together so that they exist in harmony in a mature person. The idea of perfection, there's that term perfect harmony in the text. That word that is translated perfection in the New Testament often uh, means maturity. It has the idea of maturity in it. Perfect harmony is mature harmony. Back in chapter 1, verse 28, Paul had told the Colossians that his goal in proclaiming Christ to them was to present everyone mature in Christ. To be a mature Christian in the New Testament is to have made some progress in reflecting Christ's character in your life. And in Christ, All the virtues of Christian character exist in mature harmony, and what binds them all together is love. What this means is that the virtues of compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and bearing with one another and forgiving one another are all tied together by love. They are really different ways of expressing love. Love is the overarching virtue, and all the other virtues are different ways of being loving. And so there is a unity about them. You can't have one without the others. You can't be compassionate if you're not humble. You can't be kind if you are not patient. You can't be forgiving if you are not meek. These things are not exactly the same, and that's why it's worthwhile to think about each one of them separately. But once you do that, once you look at them separately, Paul goes on to say that they are all bound together as expressions of love. They are many, but they are also one. If you grow in one, you grow in all of them. If you are weak in one, you are weak in all of them. And the reason is they are all expressions of love. Of love. The same point is made in different ways in the New Testament. <clears throat> Romans 13:8, Paul says, "The one who loves, ha- loves another has fulfilled the law." 
Now, the law is about many different things, submitting to authority, nurturing human life, sexual purity, and many other things are covered in the law. But Paul is saying that all of these are expressions of love, and if you love, you have fulfilled the whole law. Could have said that love binds all the commandments together in perfect harmony. See the same thing in Colossians, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Paul's great description of love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is a lot of things. Paul lists a whole bunch of virtues or characteristics and He could have said that love binds all these virtues together in perfect or mature harmony. So love is the most basic category. All other aspects of Christian living are expressions of love. But the New Testament makes it clear that we need to be thinking about both love itself and all the different ways that we are to show love Clearly, it is not good enough to say that the Christian life, Christian living is just about loving and, and then we are left to figure out the details for ourselves. The New Testament gives all kinds of description and instruction concerning the different ways and the different circumstances that we are to love one another. But the New Testament also puts considerable emphasis on love itself, and that's what Paul, of course, is doing in our text when he says, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So we're to put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. We're to bear with one another. We're to forgive one another. And above all of that, we are to put on love, which binds them all together. So what exactly is love then? Christian understanding of love is rooted in God's love, and it particularly as that love was expressed in the cross of Jesus Christ. First uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. First John 4.9 and 10, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So God's love is displayed in the cross. And that is the foundational expression of love that is both the source and the paradigm of our love for one another. We love because God first loved us. The love that we are to show to one another is rooted in God's love to us on the cross. And we understand what it means to love others by reflecting on God's love for us, as that was demonstrated on the cross of Jesus Christ. 
The definition of the word love in the New Testament is based on God's love in sending Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins and in Jesus himself being willing to give his life to do that. Here's a good definition of love that takes all this into account. comes from the dictionary of Paul in his letters. Says real love is not self-centered, but willing to sacrifice its own desires for the good of others. It is this sense of self-sacrifice for others, modeled by Christ's sacrifice for us, that lies at the heart of Paul's understanding of what real love is. You can see <clears throat> how this kind of love binds together all the other Christian virtues behind compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and bearing with one another and forgiving each other. There is this willingness to sacrifice our own desires for the good of others. And in the light of that, we can understand what Paul means when after listing a number of the virtues that that Christians are to put on, he says, and above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So this is the key to everything in the Christian life. It is about not being selfish or self-centered, but being willing to make sacrifices, being willing to put others before ourselves. It is about being this way because of God showing his love, this kind of love, to us in Christ. And so the love of God does not only come to us, it flows through us as well, so that we are made willing to show the same kind of love to others that God has shown to us. Now this comes to us as an exhortation. We are exhorted here to put on love. This is something that God is working in us, but at the same time it is something that we are to be active in nurturing in our lives. So we're to think about our lives. We're to think of ways that we can show love to others. We can consider where we are not doing that that well, where we are being selfish and then seek toward, to move toward being less selfish and more loving. Part of the way to do this is to think about our lives and the people we know, and think of ways that we can be more loving. You can think of our close relationships, the ways that we are selfish in those relationships, and seek to be more sacrificial and giving. We can think of how we use our time and think of ways in which we can make sacrifices to serve people in the church or other people that we know who could benefit for some, from some help or a word of encouragement or a visit. We think, can think about how we're using our money and consider whether the way that we use our money is consistent with this calling for us to put on love, to grow in sacrificing for others as a response to God's love for us. Now, this takes effort on our part, but that effort is sustained by God's love for us 
And so one of the practices that helps us to be more loving is to meditate on God's love for us, shown through Jesus on the cross. That certainly is where the biblical teaching on love leads us, because it does that all the time. As we saw from Ephesians 5.2, we are to walk in love, how? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So again and again, we are reminded of God's love for us and how that is to motivate us to reflect that love in our dealings with others. And there is also the attractiveness of this kind of living that helps us, that motivates us to strive toward growing in this area. And our text says, Paul says that love binds everything together in perfect harmony. We saw that Paul is referring to the integration of all the virtues in those who have attained a level of maturity. Paul here is pointing out the, the attractiveness of people who are mature Christians, people in whom love for others binds together all these virtues in an attractive harmony. Paul describes this in Ephesians 4.13, where he describes the goal of the building up of the body of Christ in which all the saints are to be involved in attaining, quote, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The mature man is one in whom the Christian virtues are bound together by love in harmony. This is, first of all, a corporate idea in that it is the body of Christ that grows to maturity together and as a whole, but at the same time that involves individuals growing to maturity as well. And the standard of that maturity is Christ. He is the ultimate mature man. He is the one in whom all the virtues are bound together by love. His life and his death are the perfect example of sacrificial love. He is attractive. As Christians, our eyes have been opened to see his glory. We love him and we worship him. And that inevitably means that we want to be more like him. The way that Paul speaks about love in our text shows how attractive it is. And one of the great motivators to seek to be more loving is to see the beauty of that kind of love. To be mature in love so that we are passionate about being a blessing to others is something beautiful to aspire to. And it is not a hopeless aspiration because even though it takes intentionality and effort on our part, we are alive in Christ. God is working in our lives to renew us after his image. The Bible spends as much time teaching how God is working in his people to grow them towards maturity as it does exhorting us to grow to maturity. 
The Bible makes it clear that growing towards maturity in Christ takes effort on our part, but it also makes it clear that God is at work in us through his spirit, through his word, to motivate us and to empower us to make progress in that effort. Now that that's, can be encouraging. It is certainly meant to be encouraging, but it can also be discouraging. It can be discouraging to be reminded that God is at work in us through his spirit to grow us toward maturity when we consider how little progress we have made. Whenever we think of something like love and how important it is to grow in love and how wonderful it is to grow in love and how God is working in us to grow us in love, we'll also be aware of how little progress we have made and how far we still have to go. And we may ask ourselves, why is there still so much selfishness then if God is working in me to renew me into his, towards his image? You would think that I would have made more progress by now when you think of all the verses that teach that how the power of God is working in his people to renew our lives. One of the things that we must understand to put this in perspective is that a passage like the one we are looking at is not describing how far the Colossians had come. It's describing where they need to grow. The reality is that the power of God working in us does not make change easy and effortless. This is part of the mystery of the relationship between God's work in us through his spirit and the necessity for us to be active in our own growth. God does not treat us like puppets. He works within us in a mysterious way that does not violate our basic humanity as he has created us. So that moving away from selfishness toward being more loving is not going to be, or rather is going to be experienced like any other kind of growth towards accomplishing something worthwhile. Pretty much anything worth accomplishing in life takes persistent effort and a lot of time. Think of how many years we go to school to learn the skills that we need to live life in this world. Think of how many years it takes to become a mature adult, how much time and experience and failure and trying again is involved. Think of how a toddler has a hissy fit when he's told to do something that he does not want to do. And then the whole process and the time it takes before a mature adult can deal with something that does not go his way by just taking it in stride. The growth towards maturity takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of effort, and there are vast differences between people in how fast they grow and how mature they come. And God working in us to renew us after the image of Christ does not bypass that whole Process. It's absolutely supernatural in the sense that in those in whom the Holy Spirit is not working, 
They will not even want to grow toward maturity in Christ, and there will be no power in them to do so. But when God does work, he gives the desire, he gives the power, but in doing that, he does not bypass the way he has designed us as human beings. He has designed us to grow and to mature and to learn skills and to grow through time and persistent effort and being taught and learning from examples and learning from the experience of life. Very interesting example of this is Jesus himself. In Luke 2, 52, uh, Luke describes Jesus' growth as a teenager, as a young man. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure. And yet his growth in wisdom and in his growing in the favor of God happened alongside his growing in stature, his physical Growth, which is to say that the whole process of Jesus growing in maturity was a thoroughly human process, even though he had the Spirit without measure. And that I think is very encouraging when we think about growing away from selfishness and towards the maturity of sacrificial love. It only happens because believers have the life of Christ in them, and yet at the same time it happens through the regular process of growing towards maturity, the regular process of, require, of acquiring a skill, of overcoming a character weakness. Change and personal growth is a complex process that involves many different factors and many different influences. It does not happen without personal effort and intentionality, and it takes time. And so be encouraged and not discouraged when you hear the Bible saying that God is at work in his people to renew them toward Christ-likeness. God is at work in his people, and they will make progress, but that progress is not going to be like carried along with the wind. The result of God's work in us is that we will want to grow. In the the case of this text, we will want to become less self-centered and more willing to sacrifice to bless others. And then we'll consider our lives and seek to make changes and often fail and pick up and try again and be renewed in desire through the word and the sacraments and worship and prayer and be inspired by the example of others and thankfully rejoice when by God's grace we do love others and and we grow through the experience of life including the hard times and the frustrations and So it goes. And hearing a message like this is part of the process. The word of God is proclaimed. We focus our attention on what God is calling us to do this evening. And above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We are reminded of God's love for us in Christ. We are reminded of what Christian love is. We are reminded of the attractiveness of mature love which binds together all the other virtues. We're reminded how God is working in believers to renew them 
towards maturity in Christ. And then we're told, put on this virtue of love. The Word of God is a primary means that God uses to change us. It changes our hearts. It changes our desires. It motivates us to do what it says. And so we think about what we have heard, and we think about how to put it into practice in our lives, and we ask the Lord to help us to do what we have resolved to do. And when we see sin brought to light, By the word of God, we know that we are justified by faith so that we have peace with God. We know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. We know that we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, as we seek to grow towards what we will one day be in perfection. So let's hear and respond to the word of God to us this evening. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's pray. Our great and glorious God, we We worship you for the way in which your glory is reflected in love, for the way in which you have demonstrated that love in giving Jesus for our salvation, and the way in which our Lord Jesus has willingly laid down his life for us even while we were yet sinners. We magnify your name, we glorify you, we worship you, for your love, for your grace, and your mercy. And we pray that that will transform us as we receive your love, that it may flow through us, that it may change us, that it may motivate us powerfully to reflect that more and more in our lives. We worship you for the attractiveness of your perfect, loving, mature character, and we pray that that attractiveness may, may be attractive to us, that we may be attracted to, and therefore <clears throat> urgent in seeking to grow towards the maturity in Christ. That is our goal, and that we will one day reach in perfection. Lord, we are grateful for the life that you give us to live, and for the for the exhortations that you give us to enter more deeply into the life you have saved us to live. And we are grateful for the extent to which we have experienced these things and put these things into practice in our lives. And we pray that uh, this sermon and this passage may be a a part of your ongoing work in um, growing us as your people. We pray that you would bless us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that you, that <clears throat> our faith may be strengthened and our resolve may be strengthened and that your love may be shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit and that uh, that may also contribute to our upbuilding and our comfort and our encouragement and our growth. In Jesus' name, amen.